Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Numbers chapter 11 tonight. Numbers chapter number 11. This series continuing, it's not necessarily a, uh, going through a book like we are on Sunday mornings. It's, it's different thoughts and things that, um, truths or passages that I've gone through in different spots in, in counseling with folks and, and uh, things that I've seen as folks are walking through different things that have been a help. And, and uh, tonight's message is entitled, The Curse of complaining, the curse of complaining. For those of you who have children, how would you feel if your child came to you and they said, Mom, Dad, I love you? We'd feel good about that, right? You're awesome parents. You've done an amazing job in my life. I love you so much. You're the best. There's just this one thing. That place that you pay a lot of money every month for me to live in, it's not exactly what I'd like to have. That room that you've provided, and I really wish it could be different. You kind of messed up on that a little bit, and, and I wish I had a different bed to sleep on. The, the mattress is a little bumpy, and that food you've been giving me every day, yeah, it's keeping me alive, but it's not exactly what I really would have liked or what I wish you would buy. And uh, about my brothers and sisters, let's talk about that for a minute. I don't know why you make me live with them and play with them. They get on my nerves sometimes. And, I know that I have toys to play with and all of that, but there's that one toy you've never given me, and, and they continued on and on and on. If those, that were your children, if you were a parent that's worked to love and to provide, and your children did that, they praised you for who you were, your great parents, but then they complained about everything in their lives, their praise would ring a little hollow, wouldn't it? It would ring a little empty, wouldn't it? You're wonderful parents, but just everything you do isn't good enough. I wish it was a little different. I wish my situation was different here. I wish you had provided in a different way there. I wish you had given me different siblings here and, and, and all of the surrounding things. God, you're wonderful, or parents, you're wonderful, but just all of my circumstances. And isn't that what we sometimes do in our relationship with God? We sing. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. And we sing how deep the Father's love for us and, and the goodness of God we started the service with. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. The goodness of God, you're so good. And then if we're not careful, on our way home tonight or tomorrow, or if we look at our past week, our thoughts go to, but I just, you're a wonderful God like in the big picture and all that, but just in my specific circumstances, I wish you would fix this. And you haven't quite provided for me in the way I would have liked there. And you didn't quite bring the person into my life here that I, I wish you would have. We tell him he's an awesome God who created an amazing world in general. It's just our personal world that we wish were a little different. I don't think many of us, maybe you do, I don't think many of us complain about him very often. Well, I wish God were a different God. I don't think we do that. We praise God for who He is, but we complain about the people He puts in our lives and the places He puts us in, our, in life. I think if we were to consider our words, our thoughts, our emails, our texts, 
Our conversations at work, conversations at home, conversations over the phone, our comments on social media over the past week or the past month, I think we'd be shocked at how much complaining and murmuring and coveting we do on a regular basis. If we're not careful, it seems like we look for things to complain about. We go to the grocery store, and we get in a line, and the other line starts moving faster, and what do we do? We complain. Why did I get in this line? We complain about dumb stuff, and then right now we complain about the prices of the groceries, and we complain about the price of gas to go get the groceries. Uh, I, I, was, I made some comment, a joking comment on social media about the gas prices and things somewhere a few weeks ago, and I was convicted a few days later. I wasn't in response to my comment, but our missionary who was here a few weeks ago, Johnny Esposito, he posted, and, and a lot of people are putting memes and different things up about gas prices, and he said, just a reminder for all my friends in America. In Laos, where, where we serve, gas prices are exactly the same, $6 plus at that time. He said the only difference is their monthly income as a family is about $200 a month. Puts things into perspective about what we complain about and about those things. It's in our sin nature. Think about how most of us handle the weather. What do we say in the winter? So cold, I can't wait for summer. I can't wait for summer in the sun. We can go to the beach. And, and then when it's hot, we have a, a heat wave for a week or two. What are we saying? It's so hot. Oh, man, I got to get in the air conditioning. I wouldn't mind if it would rain. And then when it rains, now my car's all dirty and mud got tracked into my house. God, you're great. It's just this weather. God, you're great. It's just my mate. God, you're wonderful. But can you do something about this job I have to work out, work at, this house I have to live in, these bills I have to pay, this family that I have to be a part of? Tonight, I want to preach for a few moments on the curse of complaining. We, we miss so many of God's blessings, and we affect so many of our relationships and opportunities because of this curse and this scourge, if you will, of complaining. I want to read the first 15 verses with you of Numbers 11. I'm going to invite you to follow along. Verse number, verse number 1, Numbers chapter number 11, the children of Israel, children of Israel are in the wilderness, and and we have them traveling there. They've been, they've, been, uh, uh, they've been delivered by a strong and mighty hand, the ten plagues, the death of the firstborn. God has brought them out. He's opened the Red Sea, all of these things. I want you to read here, beginning in Numbers chapter number 11. Follow along. Verse number 1, the Bible says, And when the people complained, what did it do to the Lord, church? It displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his what? Anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tibera, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting, and, and wanting what God had not given them, wanting what they were not supposed to have. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Other than the fish mentioned there, it sounds just like a bad vegan restaurant. That doesn't even sound good to me. But this is what they remember, verse 6. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof is the color of bedellium. And the people went about and gathered it and ground it in mills, or beat it in mortar, and baked it in pans, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. 
Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. I want you to see a few things. And how many of you would admit that, like your pastor at times, you're prone to complain? Any of us in here at times prone to complain? I'm there. I try not to. But there are times where I complain about things that God has done in my life, or things that He's given, or things that I don't quite like, and I'll I'll criticize and complain, complain those blessings, or complain about things if I'm not careful, and sometimes I'll share that with others. And I try to be really positive, and and I not just try, like I have, I really do seek to be thankful for what God's given me. But if you're like me, we complain. I want to show you a few things from this passage that complaining does in our lives, and none of them are good. Number one, I want you to see here in verses 1 and 10, we saw complaining bothers God. You see in verse number one, when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and His anger was kindled. Verse number 10, it says, it says, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. What did Paul tell the Philippians, the, the, the church at Philippi, what did he say from a prison cell? He said, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Do everything. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul, writing from a prison cell, said, you shouldn't complain about anything. In fact, you should rejoice about everything. Give thanks unto the Lord, for His mercy endureth forever. We ought to thank the Lord. Simply put, when we complain, God is displeased. You see here, He was angered with the children of Israel, just as it would bother and displease and anger us when our children murmur and complain. Have you ever been there where you gave your children a wonderful day or an event or did something for them, and then they complain about the smallest thing? I've been there, and at times it, it caused me to get angry. I just, we just spent $1,000 to, to take you to Disneyland for three days and have all of this, and you're complaining because you didn't get a churro? Like, we just rode all these rides and bought the matching t-shirts and got you the light-up Mickey ears and bought you the balloon and watched the parade and rode the rides, and you're upset because we didn't buy you a churro? What does it do? It angers us as parents when our children miss the blessings we've bestowed and only focus on the thing they want that they didn't get. What about us? Do we have anything to be thankful for? Has God given us life and air to breathe and a church to worship in and a Bible to read and a, and, and a Savior to save. Has God done anything in your life? We sang it tonight, all my life you have been faithful, the goodness of God, and yet what do we do? God, why, why is it so hot today? God, why, why are those gas prices so high? God, why did our president do such and such? And why did they, and, and if we're not careful, we, we can be like that spoiled child of God that misses all of the blessings, and it, it bothers him. Because what we're really saying is, God, you're great and all, but your plan for my life isn't as good as my plan for my life. 
I could have handled this better than you handled it. What if our children did that for us? Are we displeasing God with our words, our spirit, our attitude of ingratitude? Not only does complaining bother God, but notice verses 11 through 15. It's kind of humorous in some ways. Verse number two, or number, point number two, complaining burdens our leaders. Basically, Moses says in verses number 11 to 15, if you read it, it's kind of funny if you read a little bit, he basically says, God, why did you ask me to run this big daycare? Do I look like a nursing father that can carry uh, millions of kids with me into the promised land? Like, why did you ask me to, why did you give me this? Look at verse number 11. Look what it says in verse 11. And Moses said unto the Lord, wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? It's kind of funny that Moses is complaining to God about all the children of Israel complaining to God. Why have, why have I not found favor in thy sight that you lay this burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Am I their dad? Am I their mom? Have I begotten them that thou shouldst say unto me, these are your kids, God. Why did you give me this problem? What, what, what did their complaining do? What did their critical spirit do? It burdened their leader. He says here, as a nursing father beareth a sucking child, am I supposed to carry them in to the land which you swear unto their fathers? Hey, God, this was a deal between you and their dads, not me and them. You're the one that promised this to their, their parents. Why am I stuck cleaning up this mess? I didn't ask for all of this. By the way, talk to me now, was Moses in the will of God leading the children of Israel, yes or no? Sure he was. Was Moses doing exactly what God had called him to do, yes or no? Sure he was. God had created him, pre prepared him to be a redeemer of Israel, to redeem them from Egypt, a type of Christ. God had prepared them to do that. He was right where he was supposed to be, and yet he was as discouraged as you can imagine. You know complaining can do that? Look at, look at what he says in verse number uh, 13. Whence should I have flesh to, I don't have enough food for everybody, for they're crying to me saying, give us flesh that we may eat. Look what it says in verse 14. Would you read verse 14 aloud with me? Ready, begin. I am not able to bear all this people alone because it is too heavy for me. And here's what he says. A man in the middle of God's will doing exactly what God had made him to do. Look what he says in verse 15. And if thou deal thus with me, basically, if this is how it's going to be, God, kill me, I pray out of hand. Just end it right now. If I found favor in thy sight, if, and let me not see my wretch. God, if you love me at all, just kill me. The power of a critical spirit. Husbands, you can, you can really burden your wife. Wives, you can really burden your husbands. Pastor, you can really burden your people, discourage God's people. God's people, you can really discourage spiritual leaders. Children, you can really discourage parents. If it's always a complaint, it's always, well, why don't I have this, and what about that, and why didn't you do that, and it's not good enough, and, and all. Moses, right where he's supposed to be, is, is, is ready to end it all. God, I just wish you would take me home. I just wish you would, you would, you would kill me. I, don't, I can't do this. It's too much. It's too heavy. I don't know where they come up with these statistics, but I read in one book a, a man that does a lot of different uh, church surveys, and, and he said, according to different studies, he said the average pastor will leave their church over seven critics. Seven critics that are actively fighting against a pastor is often enough to cause that pastor to doubt his calling, to question what God's doing, and to think, uh, this is it's too much for me, this isn't enough. In our lives, how are we doing with those in our lives? Are we encouraging them 
or are we discouraging them? If you complain at work, you're burdening your business leaders. If you complain at home, you're burdening your family leaders. You'll discourage them. You might even cause them to question God's leading in their lives and their ability to be what God wants them to be. If all it is is criticism and complaining, if your children can never do anything right, if it's always criticizing and always complaining about who they are and what they do, it will discourage them and they'll just say, even, I, I, I can never do anything right anyway, so why even try? The power of a critical spirit, the power of a dissatisfied, discontented heart. Think about that. Have you burdened those in your life, those that you work with, those that you serve with, with your critical spirit? With your always finding fault, always nitpicking, always having a problem, always having to go to the boss or to HR. And I'm not saying there aren't times to bring things to authorities in our life. I'm not saying that. But always with your kids, always you miss that. And they, they did their best on everything. And all you can do is find the one thing that they messed up on. Be careful. Complaining burdens those around us. Here it burdened their leader, Moses. I want you to see number three, complaining blinds us to the miraculous. This is, this is an interesting passage. Look at verse number four. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt. I want you to remember that word there because we're going to look at something here in a minute. That word freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the garlics, uh, the, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. Look at this. Here's what they say. There's nothing at all. God, we're starving. We have nothing. You have done nothing at all for us. And here's three little words. What are those next three words after nothing at all, church? What are they? Beside this. Be, what is it? Beside this. You've done nothing at all. Talk to me those three words. Beside this manna. What an amazing statement. You know what they said? God, you've done nothing for us except the most supernatural, amazing, miraculous provision that anyone in the history of the world has ever experienced. That's all you've done. All you've done, God, is make sure that we have everything we need through no work of our own. We haven't done anything to deserve it. We don't know where it comes from. We don't know how it gets there. We, don't, we walk out. We, go to, the, we go, go to our fridge. We open the fridge. There's nothing in there. We open the freezer. Nothing in there. We open the pantry. Nothing in there. We wake up in the morning. We walk out, and there are the groceries sitting on our front porch every single morning. A critical heart blinds us to the miraculous. We can't see what God's doing because all we can see are the things we wish he was doing differently. We can't see all of the miraculous blessings in our life because all we can focus on is this one uh, injustice that happened to us or this one wrong way that we were treated or this one prayer that wasn't answered the way that we wanted it to be answered or this one circumstance in life that didn't go the way we had hoped it would go. And here's what we say, God, you've done nothing for us beside this manna, beside this manna. Think about that. Beside the most miraculous daily evidence of God's providential love and care in their lives. God, you haven't done anything for us except that amazing miracle of food that you set outside of our door every single day except on the Sabbath. And on that day, you, you give us two sets of enough food for two days there so that we don't have to gather on the Sabbath. Every morning where we wake up and we're reminded of your providential provision, your love, your care for us out of the, in the middle of nowhere. 
No grocery stores, nowhere to, no farms, no, 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 no things, no gardens, nothing. But God, you keep us alive in ways that are unbelievable. And you know what we think of it? You haven't done anything. You've done nothing at all beside this manna. What about you? And what about me? You're here today. Has God given you food to eat if you wanted it every day of your life to this point, or for sure every week of your life to this point? The answer is yes. Do we have clothing to wear? And probably have had clothing to wear every day of our lives and every week of our lives to this point in our lives? Sure. If you know Christ is Savior, that means that God loved you enough to send His only begotten Son, and somebody loved you enough to share that truth with you. And you have a copy of God's Word, a completed copy of God's Word in your language, which many, there are millions if not uh, some billions of people in, in, our, in our world today that cannot say that they have a co completed copy of God's Word in their language. If you're here today, it probably means you had some people that loved you and invested in you and opened up God's Word and taught you things and, and mentored you and walked with you and helped pick you up when you fell down and helped answer your questions and helped dry your tears. Oh, I'm not saying you haven't been hurt. I'm not saying you've had a perfect life. I'm not saying it's all been peaches and cream. What I am saying is be careful that those things that you wish were a little different don't blind you to the miraculous provision and love and care of God in your life. And in mine, God did it all, a miraculous daily reminder that he loved them, that he remembered them, and he wanted to care for their needs. And here's what they said, our soul is dried away, there is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. They began to despise the daily miracles of God. It's easy to do, isn't it? You remember when you first got saved? You remember when you first really started to grow in the Lord? You remember when you first gave your heart to God? You couldn't wait to open up His Word and to learn more. You couldn't wait to get to church. You couldn't wait to sing and to learn a new song. And you couldn't wait to memorize Scripture. You couldn't wait to share the good. You wanted everybody to know what God had done for you. But if we've been saved for any length of time, we start to, start to grow cold to the miraculous sometimes, don't we? The circumstances of life cause us to forget how good he's been, don't we? Don't they? God has saved us. He's cared for us. He's protected us. He's blessed us. He's given us his word, a church, friends, family, health. And we say we have nothing at all except, you know, all of that. It blinds us. We focus on the one thing that we don't have. By the way, can I just remind you, the one thing they were focused on wasn't even a need. It was a want. It wasn't even something they needed to live. They just wanted a little variety on the menu. It wasn't that God hadn't provided nourishment. It wasn't that God hadn't provided sustenance. It wasn't that God hadn't provided them something to keep them alive. He had done all of that. What they were complaining about, what blinded them to God's goodness in their lives wasn't even a need. It was just a want. They wished the circumstances were a little bit different. If we're not careful, we focus on that one thing we don't have. God, we'd like a little more variety in our menu. How selfish, how self-centered, how spoiled can we be? That's what happens when you complain. When you and I complain, it, it, it bothers God and it burdens those around us and it blinds us to the miraculous. Number four, it blurs our vision of reality. 
It blurs our vision of reality. It causes us to forget what it was really like. Do you see it in verse number five? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely. Okay? I want you to think about what they're saying to Moses. Another time they told Moses, you brought us out here because there weren't big enough cemeteries in Egypt, right? Here's what they're saying. We remember how good we had it before God redeemed us. We remember how good we had it before God delivered us. Life was better before we started following God with our whole hearts. That's what they're saying. We remember we ate freely, and it was, the food was so good. Oh, it was so good back there in Egypt. The fish and the garlic and the melon, the leeks. Again, it doesn't sound great to me, but they remembered it was great. Hold your hand right here and go with me to Exodus chapter number 2. The only problem was God had Moses write down the reality of what it was like there for us to see so we could go back and fact check their statements. Exodus chapter number two, hold your hand there in numbers. We're going to turn back there, but why don't you look at Exodus chapter number two. Look at verse number 23, Exodus chapter number two, verse number 23. Exodus two, verse 23, notice what it says, and it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died. By the way, for a, for a season it was good for the Israelites in Egypt, but it came to pass that in the process of time the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel, what's that next, what's that verb there, church? The children of Israel what? Sighed by reason of the what, church? Hmm. I thought they said they ate it freely. I thought they remembered all the freedom, all the good times they had. They sighed by reason of the what, church? Bondage. And they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the what, church? Bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel. He, he heard their prayer, and God had respect unto them. Skip down for the sake of time at verse number 7. Look what He says, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their, what church? Their sorrows. Verse 8, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, and continues on there into that land. Notice what he says, and you can continue on. For sake of time, I'll stop there. What was the reality? They said, we remember the good times. Oh, we remember it was so good back in Egypt. We had all the food we, we wanted. Every night was a banquet. All-you-can-eat buffet. It was so good back in Egypt. What was the reality? The reality was they were, they were, they were tired. Their taskmasters were putting more work on them. They were discouraged. They were defeated. The truth of the matter was they were crying out to God, God, save us. This is the worst life in the world, living here in Egypt under this bondage. God, would you please remember your covenant? God, we need you. God, this is terrible. We need you to come save us. But after their salvation, it was easy for them to forget. And if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, <clears throat> a critical spirit, it blurs our vision of reality. Does it sound to you, and you can go back to Numbers 11 now, between Numbers 11 and <coughs> Exodus where we just were, does it sound to you like they had a proper memory of what it was really like? No, oh no. No, it blurred their vision of reality. Don't lose, let me say this, don't lose, excuse me, <coughs> don't lose the joy of your deliverance and God's daily provision. I'm gonna say that, don't lose, don't lose the joy of your deliverance and God's daily provision. If you're not careful, you'll grow cold to it. God, we remember how good it was in Egypt. 
We forgot all of your miracles to get us out of Egypt. We forgot about the Red Sea crossing. We forgot about the dry ground. We forgot about the manna. In fact, not only do we forget about it, we kind of despise it. You haven't done anything for us except for miraculously providing for us every single day of our lives. Be careful that you don't lose the joy. What did the psalmist say? Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. What does that tell me? We can lose it, can't we? We can lose the joy of our salvation, the the joy and the blessing of our daily provision. We can start to convince ourselves life was better when I started, before I started trusting God for my provision. Life was better before I left Egypt. No, it wasn't. The greatest life in the world is living in the center of God's plan for you. It may not be always be easy, but it is best. Number five, I want you to see complaining brings God's judgment in our lives. Verse number one, the Bible says the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them. Verses 18 through 20, look at what it says. So they're, they're complaining, God, we want some meat. We want meat. We're tired of manna. We want meat. Verse 18, God tells Moses, say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow and ye shall eat flesh. Get ready. The meat truck's coming to town. Here's what he says, verse 18, for ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. God heard your complaining. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh and ye shall eat. Have you ever told, told your kids, be careful what you wish for? Or, or maybe told your kids, uh, you, you ever say to them, I'll give you something to complain about. Any of you, your parents ever said to you, I'll give you something to complain about. How many of you? Just my mom? Okay, a few of us. I'll give you something to complain about. I'll give you something to cry about. In some ways, this is what God's saying. Oh, you want to complain about my miraculous provision? I'll give you something to complain about. Look what it says in verse 19. You shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out at your nostrils. And it be loathsome unto you, because that ye have despised the Lord which is among you, and have wept before him, saying, why came we forth out of Egypt? Why did I give my life to God? My life could have been so much easier and so much better if I had gone that way that my friend went, or my, my sibling went, or this, this family I knew went. Why did I? And God said, you want to complain to me? I'll give you something to complain about. You're going to have meat. You want, you want some meat? You want some quail? It's going to be coming out your nostrils. By the way, when they got what they thought they wanted, they complained about that as well. Notice that God, that complaining can bring God's judgment in our lives. You're not grateful for what I've given you. So it bothers God. It burdens those around us. It blinds us to the miraculous. It blurs our vision of reality. It, it brings God's judgment. And lastly, complaining breeds doubt in God's ability in our lives. Look at verse number 21, if you will. Verse 21. And Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh that they may eat a whole month. We have 600,000 footmen. You're going to give us meat for a month? God, it's not possible. Shall the flocks and the herds be slain for them to suffice them, or shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together? Are we going to get every fish in the ocean to suffice them? Look at what God says. Would you read verse 23 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And the Lord said unto Moses... Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether thy word, my word, shall come to pass unto thee or not. Complaining breeds doubt in God's ability in our lives. What happened? Moses now, by the way, had Moses ever seen God do anything kind of supernatural? Yes or no? Sure. His whole life was supernatural. 
His childhood was supernatural. God, God spared him from a basket in the water. God, God brought him and raised him in, in Pharaoh's house and Pharaoh's daughter. He was, he was there in the, the best of schools and the best of training. And then he, he went and, and then his calling was supernatural. He saw a bush on fire that wasn't consumed and, and the bush talked and, and it called him. And, and then he saw, he stuttered and said, God, I, you, you can't use me. And God said, who made your mouth, Moses? And, and, and God's provident, his, his proof that he could use him was supernatural. Hey, Moses, throw your rod down. It turned into a snake and pick that up and it turned back into a rod. Put your hand in your shirt. It came out leprous. Put it back in, and it was healed. Had he ever seen? And then he came, and he saw the lice, and he saw the frogs, and he saw the boils, and he saw the water turn to blood. He saw the death of the firstborn. If you applied the blood to the doorpost, your family was not touched by the death angel, but everyone that wasn't. He saw the hail. He saw all of these things, and then they got out, and they were in trouble, and he saw the Red Sea open up, and a couple million people walked across on dry ground, and then the most powerful army on planet Earth was dragged in that, and all their horses in that. Had Moses ever seen anything supernatural, church? Some, he saw manna every day, but now this critical spirit, I believe, of the people even has Moses doubting that God can come through. God, how are you going to do that? When we focus, I want you to think about this, when we focus on what we think he hasn't done, it causes us to believe that he can't do what he said he will do. When we focus on what we think he hasn't done, it causes us to believe that he can't do what he has said he will do. Complaining doesn't rob tomorrow of its misery, it only steals today of its joy. When we doubt or despise God's past actions in our lives, we will doubt his future ability in our lives. Do you see a critical spirit creeping into your life? If you're not careful, you begin. I've used this illustration in counseling often. I've used it in church and preaching. It's, I think I just used it a week or two ago. I don't remember if I did or not. Somewhere I was speaking. I don't know if it was here or somewhere else. But isn't it funny that whatever you're looking for is what you find? Now, use the illustration. If you're ever looking to buy a new car or if you ever buy a new car or a used car, whatever car you get that's new to you, what do you start to see all of a sudden everywhere on the road? That car's everywhere. You start seeing it at stoplights. If, you, if there's a commercial for a new car and you go test drive it and you're thinking about buying it, everywhere you drive, you see that car. Hey, there's one of those. Oh, there's one of those. Oh, there's And you hadn't ever seen it before. Now, were there more of those cars that started going on the, on, the, on the road after you thought about buying it or after you bought it? Do you think there was just a lot more of those cars on the road? Yes or no? No. What was different? You began to look for it. It's an amazing thing. The human brain has an amazing ability to find what it's looking for. If you want to find some things to rejoice about in the life God's given you, you'll find them. And if you want to find some things to complain about, even the most supernatural redemption story, you can find it. If you want to find some things to rejoice about in the family God's given you, if you're, if you're married and the spouse God's given you, if you have children and the children God's given you, if you're a child and the parents that God's given you, if you're a Christian and the church God's given you, pastor and the church that God's given you to help lead, if you want to find some things to rejoice about and some wonderful things, guess what? You'll find it. And in all of those relationships, if you want to find something to be upset or frustrated or bitter about, to complain about, to, to find where the guess what you can do? You'll find it. Just like driving on the road, whatever car you bought, you start looking around, and it happens to all of us. Whatever car you get, you see it everywhere. 
Oh, there's one of those. There's one of those. Our, our, our kids, as they start to get their license and started getting cars of their own, we start seeing that. And, and Ashlyn has a, a Jeep Patriot. And literally everywhere we go, I'll say, oh, there's Ashlyn's car. Oh, the, I never mentioned a Jeep Patriot ever, ever before two years ago when she bought that. I never saw or talked about a Jeep Patriot on the road. But now that it's a part of our life and it's what we, now all of a sudden we see it far more than we ever did. And the same thing is true. What is it that you're looking for? If you're looking for faults and failures and things to be upset about and things to complain about, you'll find it. If you're looking for things to rejoice about and things to thank God for, you'll find that as well. Do you see a critical spirit creeping into your life? When you get together with your friends, is it always bash somebody else time? Is it always find what's wrong with somebody else? Is it always talking badly about your spouse or about your job, coworkers? Is it always about the flaws of the boss or the, the, the shortcomings of the corporation? Is it always about how they should be doing more for you? You remember the first day of that job? Most of us don't go to the first day of a job hating the job that we're going to. Man, I can't, I, I'm going to hate this place, I hate the boss, I hate my coworkers. I, I don't know why I accept this, I don't want to work here. Most of us, we get in the first day of work and we are, ex- this is awesome, I've got, I've got a company to work for, I've got a paycheck to provide for my family, I, this is awesome. And after we're there for a little while, what do we do? We start to see the things to complain about. We're so excited when they hire us, we, we call, I got, I got the job, I got accepted, I got the offer. And after a while, if we're not careful, we lose all of that joy and only focus on the negative. Here's the summary tonight, and here's the reality that that the children of Israel remind us. Nothing good comes from complaining, murmuring, doubting, and griping. Yet we're also prone to do it. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So what's the cure? And I'll wrap it up. The cure for complaining. We saw the curse for complaining. What's the cure for complaining? Number one, contentment. Having food and raiment, let us be there with content. You know what you need to do when you wake up? And just say to yourself, I'm choosing. Paul said it this way, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I am choosing contentment today. Contentment with, with what God's given me and contentment with where God's placed me. And do you know if you approach your day choosing contentment, It changes the way you interact with every circumstance of that day. Instead of looking for something to to complain about, instead of looking for something to criticize, instead of looking for something that's wrong, instead it's, God, you've given me food and raiment, that's all I need. Everything else is a blessing. Everything else is extra. About 15 years ago, my my wife, I think think it was probably 15 years ago, my wife's parents, they decided they wanted to get a, uh, a trailer. And they were not buy one, but borrow like a, a camping trailer, a fifth wheel type of a thing, a big one. And they wanted us all to bring the kids. At that time, I think our kids might have been some of the only kids, our older three and maybe one other grandchild. There were only three or four or five grandkids. And they wanted us all to come up. And if you know my, some of you in here, you know my, my in-laws, my mother-in-law and father-in-law, they are not camping type of people. They're hotel type of people. They're, they don't like the dirt. They don't like dirt grounds. They don't, they, they like everything clean and, and a little bit OCD. And, and I think I mentioned somewhere I was speaking, his garage, if you drive in it, it's carpeted right now. It's carpeted in his garage. It's just two cars, not a, not a single thing of storage. It's just OCD. I was our small group. We were talking about it on Wednesday. And I said, I, why are we going camping with your parents? Your, your family does not like to camp. This is not going to go well. And by the way, while we were there, they were, they were sweeping the little artificial grass mat the whole time and cleaning up the whole—we borrowed a trailer from a member in the church. That trailer had never been cleaner after we were done with it. 
I said, why are we doing? I said, I don't think this is going to go well. Your parents are not camping people. They got it in their mind that we're all, and by the way, we did have a great time, but here's what I, I told my wife. I said, when we get there, this is not going to be regular people camping. This is not going to go real well. I said, it's not. And so we've got to be ready. The kids are young. We've got, at that time again, four or five kids, probably ages seven and under. And we're all supposed to be staying like in this two-bedroom little trailer. A couple of the brother-in-laws were going to set up a tent right outside of it at the campsite. I said, I don't know how this is going to go. This is not. And I told my wife, I said, I'm going to have a little code for you. I said, I'm going to say, if something happens that would cause us to get frustrated, or something happens that would cause us to be upset, or something happens that it's not going the right way, I'm not going to let it ruin our trip. Here's what I'm going to say, and this was before, now it's another acronym that when I hear this, I think of something else, but I said, I'm going to say POC. That was before I had heard the acronym that meant people of color, and I said, that's part of camping. And, and we're going camping, we just have to be ready, everything's not going to go perfect. I said, if I say POC. It means it's part of camping, and, and again, I, now if I were to say or hear that I've read it, that, that that acronym stands for people of color. So I wouldn't use that acronym today, but 15, 20 years ago I hadn't heard that as an acronym. And so POC, part of camping. And I told my wife, when we go, we're going to have a great time. We're not going to stress out about six, five kids, whatever it was, in a little two-bedroom trailer. We're not going to stress out about just whatever everybody else wants to do. We're going to go with the flow. We're not going to have a bunch of opinions. We're not going to fight about it. And, and it became a little joke, and we began to use that for months after that trip, where when things don't go our way, instead of letting it ruin our day, instead of letting it ruin our, our trip, I would say to her, and she, POC, part of camping, that's just, that's just you just got to expect it. There's going to be some things things at camping that you don't enjoy. There's going to be some stuff that isn't what we're used to. The, the, the mattress, the air mattress is going to deflate. It's not going to be real comfortable. The food isn't going to be real good. We're all going to smell like smoke. It's going to be, and that's just, that's part of camping. So don't go in expecting it to be the Ritz-Carlton. And you know what? We had a blast, and everybody had a blast on that trip. We had a great time. We didn't go in complaining because it wasn't what we were used to. And our family's not a huge camping family either. And nobody in my wife's family is really, well, I guess her, her sister and brother-in-law, they camp every year. My brother-in-law, Chris, they camp. But, but the rest of us really aren't big campers. We had a great time. Why? Because we adjusted expectations. There's going to be some stuff that isn't going to go the way we wanted. It's just part of camping. It's part of it. It's part of, part of the journey. Don't let it ruin the journey. And you know, if we walk in to every day. You know what, there's gonna be some stuff that happens today that maybe isn't exactly what I chose, but God, I'm content. And that's not gonna get me off course, it's part of camping. It's part of life, P-O-L. I don't know if that's another acronym that means something else. P-O-L, part of life. And this is part of it, and we're, we're not gonna let it destroy us. What's the cure for complaining? Contentment? Not expecting more than what God's given you, just expecting that some things aren't going to go your way, and that's all right. God, you're still good. In everything, the Bible says, give thanks. Be ye thankful. When you wake up, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his holy name. The cure for complaining, contentment, and that's the second one, thanksgiving. Every morning you wake up, God, thank you for my food and raiment. Let me enter into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. I want to be thankful unto you and bless your name. In everything give thanks. God, you're good, period. Brother Sammy led us, all my life you have been faithful, all my life you have been so, so good. And we sing it this morning, we sing it tonight, but is it really how we live? 
God, you've been good, but you missed that prayer request, and you didn't provide for that, and you messed me up there, and that didn't go the way I wanted it to for my kids, and that, and, or is it just God, you've been good, period. God, you provided well for me. You provided perfectly for me. No exception clause. Beside this manna, nope. God, I don't need it. If you never give me anything else, you've been good. God, thank you for bringing me to this point. Thank you for redeeming me out of Egypt. God, thank you for the 10 plagues that, that you used as a strong hand to show your power. God, thank you for bringing me through the Red Sea. Thank you for putting this person in my life. Thank you for this trial. What does the Bible say? Count it all joy. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. That's a weird verse. When things come into my life that I wouldn't have chosen, let me count it all joy. What did Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory, this is weird, in my infirmities. I don't know about you, I don't, I don't gladly glory in infirmities. But Paul said that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what he said? I'm not going to go through life complaining about how God didn't come through for me. I'm not going to go through life. Now, I asked him three times to take this thorn in the flesh away, Paul said. It was something I didn't want. God, would you be pleased to take it away? God, would you take it away? God, would you take it away? And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So most gladly, therefore, because of the fact that God said, I'm strong enough to get you through this, I'm going to glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God, thank you. I just thank, want to thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for me. Have you had a critical, complaining spirit? If we have, let's repent of it tonight. Let's cure the curse of complaining in our lives. I've done this, I don't remember where I did it, and, and, uh, but I've done it before where there's, with a group of people that we're traveling with, and, and I'll say, all right, hey, this trip, it's not, there's gonna be some stuff that doesn't go the way that we expected, and if I'm taking a big group of people somewhere, and I'll say something along the lines of, all right, if you hear me complaining, I'll pay you X amount of money. If you catch me complaining, you bring it up. And if I hear you, you owe me that. We're gonna, we're gonna just pack right now on this trip, we're gonna enjoy it. We're not going to spend this whole trip complaining. Because we're not careful, we look forward to a trip, and we save for a trip, and we get ready, and then all we do is complain about everything that didn't go the way we were hoping it was going to go. We don't enjoy any of it, and that's the way it is in life sometimes too. We walk through life, and all we do is, well, it was supposed to be different there, and my 30s were supposed to turn out that way, and my teens were supposed to look like this, and, and my 20s were supposed to be this, and my job, my career was supposed to take that route, and, this, and all, if we're not careful, we miss all of that. God, thank you for everything you've done for me. The curse of complaining, it destroys, it can destroy lives and destroy relationships, and it can, it can bleed all the joy out of the life God's given you. What do we see with complaining with the children of Israel? Complaining bothers God. It burdens those around us. It blinds me to the miraculous in, God's li in my life, God's miraculous works in my life. It blurs my vision of reality. I start to think the grass is greener somewhere else. When all I can focus on is the shortcoming of my spouse, if I'm not careful, I might start to look and say it'd be better outside of this marriage. It blurs our vision of reality. It blinds us to the miraculous, it, br it brings God's judgment, and it breeds doubt in God's ability. If I, if I despise what He's done in my life, I'll doubt what He can do in my life. My prayer is that Thanksgiving for all of us will not just be a day in, in November, a Thursday in November, but it'll be a way of life. What's the cure for complaining? Contentment. 
I have learned. God, you're enough. I'm not saying you can't pray about things that are a burden on your heart, but God, what you've given me and where you've placed me, it's enough. I'm content, and God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done. Doesn't the Bible say this? Be anxious or careful, full of care, full of stress for nothing, Philippians. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, little two words, with what? Thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That peace comes, but part of it is when we stop to look back at how good God has been, he gives us peace in the turmoil of today. Contentment and thanksgiving. Have you found yourself, when you start talking, it's all with a, with a, with a family member, with a relative, with a spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a friend at school, about a teacher, about a student, at work, about a coworker, about a boss. It's always critical. It's always complaining. We have this idea, God, you've been good and you're a good God and I'll sing it at church, but you just kind of haven't totally come through the way that I wish you would have. Let's, not, let's learn from the mistakes of the children of Israel and let's be joyful, content people of God. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.